Many of our pastors come out of Bible college bursting with energy and ideas, uh, dreams of, of what ministry in church will look like, and yet find the reality of, of parish ministry, of church ministry, is actually very, very different. Uh, no more so in the area of evangelism. Uh, getting evangelism running in church, seeing churches uh, win people for Christ is challenging and it's difficult. Uh, it can be really difficult if you don't have any experience uh, in getting church on mission together. So what does it look like to be a young pastor coming into a church environment and being responsible for evangelism? What does it look like uh, to grab hold of evangelistic practices and principles that other churches have done and insert them in an already existing churches? And what can we learn from each other uh, to equip and engage with us uh, so we improve at our own local mission to reach Australia? Well, uh, today I'm delighted to be speaking to Josh Lean and Jordan Peterson. Jordan uh, is one of the pastors at the Point Community Church on the mid-north coast of New South Wales in Port Macquarie. And Josh is one of the pastors at Eastside Community Baptist Church in Manly West, all the way up in Brisbane. Now, both of you uh, currently live in beautiful parts of Australia, even Brisbane, a beautiful part of Australia. Um, but have you always lived there? Um, tell us a little bit about life uh, for you guys growing up. Where did you live? Where do you come from? Jordan, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm originally from the Illawarra, so around Wollongong Way. Um, spent most of my life there. Uh, and when I finished uni, got a job there. And the pastor of the church I was at kept on um, hassling me to, to do MTS with him. So I said yes. Did that for two years. Studied at Moore Theological College for four years. And I've been at the Point Church for the last uh, nearly two years now. Awesome. I grew up in uh, country Queensland, uh, so about six or seven hours uh, north uh, west of Brizzy. Uh, and then sort of in my late teens, moved down to Brizzy. And then after being encouraged by the uh, local church that uh, my wife and I were at, we've uh, headed down to Sydney uh, just for a brief uh, three years because we couldn't do longer than that. Uh, and then we've uh, headed back up to the promised land. So it's good to be back uh, in sunny Queensland. Good on you guys. Um, we're talking today about evangelism and what it looks like uh, to, to, to work in a church and equip them uh, to be on mission to, to see their communities that they live in uh, one for Jesus. And more often than not, this happens obviously through relationships, through one other person or a group of people sharing the great news of Jesus' death and resurrection uh, with other people and bringing them to church uh, and so on. As you reflect on your own life, who is the person who is most significant in your own conversion to becoming a Christian, Josh? Who, who, is, a, who is the key person? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, I grew up in a Christian home, so I guess there's a sense in which I've always felt that I've known Jesus. But to put it down to one person, I'd say that it was probably my mum. So uh, she went to be with the Lord when I was in my early 20s. And I think that it was kind of, it was that point in time where I was like, yeah, okay, I know and I love Jesus, but is this for real? Uh, so watching her uh, struggle through her sort of final months and weeks of cancer, but yet seeing her love and joy just increase and increase was kind of like this moment of going, all right, like I've heard about this Jesus dude for my whole life, uh, but is this someone that I can really trust? Uh, and so I think for me, that was crucial. It was like, okay, I'm either going to go all in on Jesus or I'm just going to walk away because this is rubbish. Uh, and just watching her life and her witness was huge for me. That's amazing. Thanks, Josh. Jordan, what about you, brother? 
Yeah, I think I, I had a bunch of the pieces of the gospel put in place um, early on, going to church as a kid. And then there was a good chunk of years where I, I didn't go to church anymore, but uh, would have called myself a Christian. But in hindsight, I, I'm not really sure if I was or not. That'll be a question to ask um, God when I meet him. Uh, it was when I met my girlfriend, Anna, uh, when I was 17, that I noticed there was a big difference between um, her and I and the way we lived out our faith. So I said that I, well, I believed Jesus rose from the dead and that he died for my sins, but I hadn't really translated that properly, I think, into what the implications for my life were. And I hadn't understood grace. Um, and so it was spending time around Anna, who's now my wife, um, and her family, and seeing how they just showed um, enormous patience and kindness to sometimes very difficult people that made me think, man, I, I need to actually understand grace and, um, and live it out properly. So not sure exactly when the conversion happened, but either when I was you know, a teenager or earlier on, I'm not really sure. So, of course, many Christians uh, become Christians, they get converted, they're born again, uh, but then their experiences with evangelism uh, can differ. Uh, lots of us start enthusiastically and then get turned away because of discouragement or, or dejection. Um, most of us actually need a second conversion, if you like, to evangelism, to, to the need, the urgency uh, to actually do it. How did that happen in your lives? How did you become someone who actually grasped hold of, hey, I need to tell other people about Jesus? And if you want, uh, do you have any stories of your initial attempts at evangelism uh, that inspire us to keep going despite failure? Yeah, there's one story in particular for me that really stands out. And it was a beach mission that I was doing uh, at Burley. And I can remember, I'd just call it beach without the mission for me. Like I was there on it. And uh, the whole idea of walking up to a stranger and talking to them about Jesus was just the most stupid thing in the world. Uh, and there was this young guy, his name was Pat, and he was just full of enthusiasm, so young Christian, and he would just tell anyone about Jesus. And uh, we were out together, uh, meant to be doing an evangelistic walk uh, along the beach. He was doing the evangelism, I was doing the walking. And uh, he stopped me and he goes, do you realize that every person you walk past and refuse to engage them in a conversation, they could be heading to a Christless eternity? And it was kind of this moment, like, even as I share that now, like, I've got goosebumps because, uh, look, he had, he probably wouldn't even know what the word soteriology meant. And I'm sitting there kind of thinking about the theology of whether that's right or wrong. And, you know, but he was just speaking the truth. He had such a burden to tell people about Jesus. And in that moment, I realized that I didn't. Uh, and as he was sharing with me, he was not trying to be nasty to me. In fact, you know, he was probably at the point of choking back a few tears. And I'm kind of looking him in the eyes going, you know what, uh, you're exactly right. At that moment, he had the compassion of Jesus for the loss that I didn't. Uh, and I wouldn't say from that moment on everything changed. But, you know, the fact that I can tell you that story, and that was probably 13 or 14 years ago, uh, tells you how profound that was for me. Thanks so much, Josh. Jordo, what about you, mate? Yeah, a bit different for me. I think I've always had strong convictions that people need to understand the truth. Um, even before I'd started really crystallizing the concept of grace. Um, but I think before I'd understood that, I was quite pharisaical in the way that I approached evangelism and um, uncaring. 
Um, but after I'd met Anna and you know, had that realization, um, I think I felt this real angst and just sort of nervous energy, like, oh my goodness, there's people that I love that are, you know, they're going to hell and I'm gonna do something, I've gotta tell people the truth. And so for a good couple of years, I just had this real internal pressure that uh, I, I look back now, now and think, I don't know if that was actually that helpful for my evangelism. Um, some people drift into, I suppose, a bit of laziness or going, oh, you know, yeah, whatever. I don't have the, the gift. Um, but for me, I was so desperate for people to hear the gospel that the way I came across was probably too intense. Um, I think as my understanding of God's sovereignty has deepened, and my confidence in the power of the gospel has deepened. Um, I've learned to keep looking for those opportunities everywhere, but to just relax and trust that if, if the, the conversation is going to be really socially awkward by me bringing that up, um, you know, there's wisdom about um, the best time and the best way to speak into these things. Um, but the more confident you are in the gospel and, and the deeper your convictions are that it's true, the more you're going to see opportunities everywhere and, be able to talk about them in a natural way with people. So, Many of the things um, we try and do as, as pastors or church leaders is train people in the competence of evangelism. So we might train people in um, the latest evangelistic presentation or, um, or tract or, or whatever it is and teach them how to have conversations. Um, would it be safe to say from those reflections, though, that the most important, significant, profound uh, part of your conversion to the need for evangelism wasn't so much um, competence as conviction. Would that be safe to say? 100%. Yeah, I c couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think um, what, we, what we tend to think is, oh, I need the right skills and everything. But if the drive isn't there and, and the deep-seated um, belief that people need to hear this, um, then you might have a crack with these skills that you've learned in some evangelism training course. But um, the first couple of times, it doesn't seem like there's fruit out of it. You go, oh, well, I, I guess I, maybe I, I'm not the right person to do it. But if you've got the conviction, you'll have a crack and suck it at, you know, for a while, but that's not going to put you off. You'll keep trying and keep experimenting and finding different ways to tell people the gospel. For me, lately, I've been reading Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. And every time I pick up that book, I'm not struck so much by Jesus' evangelistic method, but by the heart that he has for people who don't know God. Uh, he sees the crowds and he, he feels sick to his stomach. Uh, and I feel that challenge myself. Do I feel that same compassion for the lost? Uh, and do the people in our church family? And, and for me, my answer is... I need more of that uh, and I long to see more people in, in my church family with that same heart for the lost. Awesome. So let's, let's paint the picture here. You're, you're two young-ish guys. You're, you come to Sydney to study at Bible College. Um, you have a variety of experiences at churches before and during college. You both have a, a deep conviction of the need to evangelize. Uh, and then you, you leave college and you go to churches, two churches, um, uh, one, a Baptist church in Brisbane, uh, the other one, an uh, independent evangelical church in Port Macquarie. Um, tell us about the churches you went to. So who, what are the churches? Um, give us, I guess, the, the demographical overview. And then what was happening for mission at church? What was happening evangelistically at your church uh, when you arrived? Uh, Jordo, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so the Point Community Church, um, lovely bunch of people. Anna and I have loved our, our um, time here and the friends that we've made. Um, yeah, I think uh, what we noticed when we arrived at the Point was just this real um, welcoming kind of culture of love. Um, and, and people were really genuine. There wasn't really any kind of pretentiousness or anything like that. Um, evangelistically, there was a, a couple of things that the church um, was using. Uh, there was a, a thing called Summerfest, which was sort of a kids club um, thing that happened once a year. Um, and there was an occasional men's conference or, or women's conference that people were encouraged to bring their friend along to and, and hear a speaker. Um, and then I suppose a bit of one-to-one going on with people that were uh, particularly uh, passionate about evangelism. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a little picture. Yeah, awesome. Josh? Uh, yeah, Eastside uh, as a church of about three to 400 people and God's doing really good things. I guess when we came to the church, what I'd observe is that evangelism had kind of been, um, it was like something we'd tried. Uh, we'd tried a whole bunch of different things, but nothing had really stuck. And I, I would say that the well, my diagnosis for the problem is that there was a massive gap between our theology and practice. Uh, so uh, we would say things like the gospel is the power of God. Uh, we'd say that, you know, Jesus is powerful to save people. Uh, but then when it came to consistently putting that theology into practice, it just wasn't there. We didn't really believe what we said. Uh, and I, I I'd say that's one of the biggest struggles that we've had to overcome as a church, trying to align our theology and our practice together. Uh, and, and I think as a ministry team, it's been going, this is what we believe. And therefore this is what we believe. So we're actually going to stick at something. So, you know, we would try a course uh, and this is before my days, but we'd try a course, we'd do it once and go, Oh, two people turned up. So we're not going to do it again. Uh, but I'd say that inadvertently what we'd done was to teach our people to believe that it didn't matter that much uh, because every time you try something and then you give it away after the first go, you've kind of just taught them uh, that evangelism doesn't matter that much or it certainly doesn't matter enough to keep trying. Uh, so that's a sense of the state of play, I guess. Josh, I think that's a profound reality um, that a lot of churches... Um, the reformed evangelical churches that are part of our network and beyond uh, have good theology uh, around evangelism and that is absolutely crucial and we need to make sure that continually happens if we lose that we've lost it all you know we need to make sure the theology is right but probably the disconnect would happen not in the why to as much as the how to uh, the pragmatic outpouring of what we theologically believe um, Jordan, as you hear that point, would, would that be an accurate representation of some of the stuff that was going on in your church as well? Yeah, kind of. It's, it's a little bit different at the point. I think the theology was there and, and people really believed, yeah, we need to do something about this. Um, but on reflection, I think some of the harder questions maybe weren't being um, asked directly. Because often what we do when we're thinking about mission is um, we focus on... Um, doing something but uh, we, we don't always reflect very well on okay how is what we're doing actually uh, what are the outputs of that so they talk about three kinds of goals in um, 
I think it's like high performance sport or something, psychology. So you've got um, outcome goals, you've got performance goals, and you've got process goals. Um, so process goals are, I'm going to commit to doing the thing. So we're going to put on this, um, we're going to put on this men's conference or this men's talk thing. Uh, performance goals are, okay, how are we going to um, perform well in individual components of that process? So um, can we make sure the food is good at the event? Um, can we put some music on so that the vibe's good? And often when we're thinking about mission in ministry, we're focusing on process and performance goals, but we're not really asking the hard questions about the outcome goals, which really is conversions. How many people have you actually seen save? And, and do you know for sure they're safe? Have you sat down with them and asked the hard question? Um, or are you assuming they're safe because they've started hanging around church? Um, and I, I think uh, at the point, I saw a lot of commitment to mission and a lot of energy being poured into places, but not a lot of questions being asked about how many conversions can you actually, how many names can you name? Um, and have you sat down with those people and, and confidently worked out, yes, this person understands Jesus' death and resurrection. They understand grace. They understand faith and repentance. So, yeah. Yeah, that is a hard word to hear, isn't it? I think the, the bare bones review and reflection, the reality, um, are we doing well at this? Is this working? Um, do we have the, um, I suppose the courage uh, to say, no, it's not, and also uh, the energy and ideas to, to go right? Okay, so we're not just going to stop, uh, but we're going to refocus, pivot, um, and re-pour our energies somewhere else. These are hard Hard things to think about. Um, you guys arrive there, um, I'm, I'm sure, full of beans, full of energy, full of ideas. You get there, um, things are different, perhaps, than you expected, um, particularly evangelistically, as you've shared. And yet now, a few years on in both of your churches, um, praise God, uh, people are becoming Christians. So people have become Christians at, at Eastside. Uh, people have become Christians at the point. Um, and we praise God for that. Uh, the questions that I want to ask, though, is how, why, what, <laughs> what happened? What did you do? Um, what uh, practical things did you put into place that actually meant you were able to take those good intentions and good theology and turn them into bare bones, numbers, people becoming Christians? Uh, what happened? Uh, Josh, I'll start with you, mate, and then on to Jordan. Yeah, I think uh, for us, it was definitely as a leadership team and kind of being honest about the problem that we had. Uh, so many people at Eastside love the Lord Jesus. You know, I'm sure absolutely a desire to see people come to trust him, but we had stopped, I would say, practically believing our theology. And I would say that, that as a leadership team and as pastors, the first step was actually owning that and going, okay, there is a problem here. Uh, so we believe that, you know, the gospel is the power of God for salvation of any person. Uh, but then I think uh, a study I saw Ed, Ed Stetzer did was that 50% of people haven't shared Jesus with anyone in the past year. I'd say if we did that at Eastside, it was probably even worse than that. Oh, I would, I would say, I think in, in Australia, <laughs> you know, 50%, if you had a church that was sharing their faith, 50% of your people sharing your faith once a year, I think you'd have revival. 
you know, comparatively, yeah. So uh, I think it was kind of owning that problem and then going, right, well, what is the catalyst going to be? Uh, and uh, how are we going to actually show people uh, that their theology is true? Uh, and so for me, you know, uh, as I look at the book of Acts, I would say uh, now more and more as I read it, it's one big story uh, that's proving that Jesus really will do what he has said he will do. Uh, people will be saved as the gospel goes from, uh, you know, from Samaria to the ends of the earth. Um, and so for us, it was then, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to start with an evangelistic course. Uh, now, some people, you know, say, oh, look, it's, it's program-based. It's, it's a course. You can, you know, critique it all different kinds of ways. But so you've got to start somewhere. Uh, you can sit and you can uh, talk about the pros and cons all day long, uh, but the Great Commissioners go. Uh, and so for us, I'd say the initial step was we're going to do something and we're going to commit to it. Uh, and when I say commit to it, we're going to run a course where people can invite their friends along to meet Jesus. And we're not just going to do it once. I'd say the biggest mistake people make at the beginning is they go, we're going to do this once and then reassess. I would say right from the start, you need to say, this is what we're going to commit ourselves to for 18 months, two years, and show our church that this is really important and that we value it. So let me just ask, Josh, um, what did that look like on the ground? Uh, I, I guess, you know, what course did you run? How long does that go for? How many times a year did you do it? Um, and what fruit did you see? And how long did it take before you started seeing fruit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, um, for us, it was just a four-week course looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, look, I see a lot of discussion about the pros and cons of different courses. Uh, what I would say is that the most important thing for us as we thought about a course is what's going to work with our postmodern friends in middle-class Australia. So Eastside is uh, typical middle-class Australia. And the truth is that they're post-Gospel uh, and so for us, we've gone for a four-week course, which then runs into another course where people can keep exploring Jesus. Uh, but uh, I just think if you say to someone today, and this is my own personal opinion, God has used courses that go for 12 weeks and seven weeks. But uh, purely subjectively, if I go up to the average punter at Eastside and say, uh, would you invite a friend along to a 12-week course or a seven-week course? Uh, the conversation gets awkward very quickly. Uh, so we've gone for a four-week course. Uh, and really, it's just focusing on this is who Jesus is. This is what it looks like to follow him. Uh, and the wonderful thing is that we had people become Christians after the first course. Uh, and so right at that point, you've got the closing of what I'd call the theology and the practice gap. Uh, in fact, um, you know, there was plenty of low-hanging fruit in the church initially. And what I mean by that is people had just come to church, uh, but as Geordie said, uh, perhaps had never actually put their trust in Jesus. So we had a baptism service. Uh, the first year we started this, where we had 16 people baptized in one day. Uh, and I would say that that was like an evangelism bomb. Uh, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but it was like this moment where people were like, wow people really can come to put their trust in Jesus. So that's, that's kind of how things got going for us. Um, from there though, like what, when you see people saved, I'd, I'd call it um, 
maybe this is uh, not the best language to use, but it's a bit like Christian crack. Um, when you see people saved and those, <laughs> stories, uh, those stories begin to get out, uh, then it's like, bring it on. Like, let's keep doing this. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a bit of how things got rolling. Boy, you can tell you're from Brisbane, mate. Honestly, Christian crack, dead set. Um, brother, before I throw to Jordo, can I just say, praise God, that's amazing. Um, and you don't mean 16 babies baptised, you mean actual adults baptised. Yes, yes, brother, I'm a Baptist, so there's uh, only, only one way to do baptism. <laughs> that's right. And listen, the, the other thing I'll just say there is, so just, just spill it out for me a, a little bit more. Um, you had a four-week course. How many times a year do you run this thing? And are you running it based on the amount of people you have registered or you just, it's in the calendar, you're putting it on, it's happening? Yeah, no, lock it in the calendar. And, and this is where um, I, it is so much harder, this is my personal view, to see a Christian converted to evangelism than to see a non-Christian converted to Christ. Um, and again, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn here, probably a bit sacrilegious. But, but if we say to the church, look, we're going to run this once, and then we might do it a second time if it goes well, then you're teaching them something. Uh, you're saying to them that you're not convinced uh, and that maybe, you know, this is something that's not worth going all in on. So lock it into your calendar uh, and say, look, we're going to be doing, we, we do it three times a year. Uh, so we run it just after Christmas, uh, usually just after and then around September. But we plan that into our calendar uh, and, and it's teaching the church, this is important and we're going to stick to it uh, because we believe in it. It's like a sporting coach going, here's the game plan. Um, man, that's so encouraging. Uh, Josh, I'm going to ask you, Jordo, um, you've come in, Port Macquarie, uh, Point Church. Um, yeah, what did you do uh, that has allowed you to start seeing people converted? Yeah, so chatting to um, a bunch of the churches that I knew were doing quite well missionally um, and mission pastors and just keeping my ear to the ground, it did seem like uh, putting an evangelistic course in that you run regularly and run really well was um, a key component of um, helping to shape the, the culture of the, of the church um, so that evangelism becomes normal. Um, and I think I realised that it's it's sometimes not even that people don't have the conviction um, or the competency to um, tell their friends about Jesus. It's sometimes it's just opportunity. Um, and we pitch this idea of evangelism as, okay, you, Jordan, the lone wolf, go out and, you know, read your, the Bible with your friend and you're going to lead him to Christ. And, um, and that has happened. Um, so it's not never that way, but um, the church is a body as well. And we all bring different gifts into things. And I think um, that seemed to be the advantage of putting an evangelistic course on is you're asking people to use different gifts and come together um, to create a forum where the gospel can be proclaimed um, in a really um, persuasive and attractive environment. Let me ask you, um, how did you go about pragmatically doing that, Jordo, in, in a, in a pre-existing church? Super busy. And the points, how many people go to church? Uh, like on a Sunday, we'd probably have somewhere between, well, 200 and 250, I think. Okay. So a good sort of medium to large size church in our context of Australia. Um, so there's already 100 things on. You know, there's, there's no, 
no shortage of things happening at churches, and I'm sure that was the same at the point. So how did, and, and opportunities for people to serve in a wide variety of ways. So what were the pragmatics involved for you to insert something as um, seminally important as a course uh, into your calendar? And what were the pragmatics of uh, recruiting people, advertising, um, promoting? Run, me th- run it through, uh, run that process through for me as, as if you're talk- explaining it to someone who's never done it before uh, but wants to. Yeah, sure. Um, and I should say uh, up front, I, I want to give people an indication of how well or poorly this has gone. So we've seen nine people converted over the last 12 months. Um, and previous to that, maybe, you know, one every couple of years or something like that. So I'll, I'll just say that so people don't think, wow, you know, there's floods of people coming in. Sure, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, but so to answer your question, um, I think the very first thing was sitting down with my boss and saying, um, Hey, Steve, there's this thing that I want to start doing, um, but I want to persuade you that it's not just another thing that the church is putting on. Um, We have uh, two main uh, goals as pastors. One is to grow people in their discipleship and their love for Jesus. And the other is to make disciples, see people converted. Um, And and so I, I tried really hard to persuade Steve, um, the course that I want to put on and run regularly needs to sit in a category of its own. Um, it's not the same as the marriage course that the church might run once a year. It's not the same as, um, you know, the, the parenting course. Th- this is talking about people saved from uh, death to eternal life. Um, so that was the first step. Um, the second thing I think was um, just learning from those who were already doing this and learning what they were doing well um, and then adapting that to my own context. Um, so not trying to reinvent the wheel and pouring tons of energy into doing something that other people have already worked out how to do. Um, but being okay to go, yep, that looks great. Cut, paste, um, <laughs> but give it our own flavor. Um, and then the third thing I'd say is advertise really well. So win the congregation to the idea. Um, uh, in the lead up, so about four weeks leading up to every course, we do interviews with people who have come to the course um, because you really got three goals out of the, the course. One is to see people converted. Um, the other is to train people in your congregation in evangelism as they come along and chat to people who aren't Christians. Um, and the third is to build people's confidence in the course so that the next time you run it, the people that went last time go, that was awesome. Oh, you guys should definitely invite somebody to that. Um, yeah, so the first, call, the first time you're on the course is really, really important that it's done very, very well. And each time you, you, you do it, it should be run well because you, you need your congregation to be confident in it. Josh, you have anything to add on that? Just, the, I suppose, the, the practical realities of, of putting something on at a church which hasn't run anything like this for a while or before? Um, implementing it into the DNA, the very heartbeat and structure of who you are as a church. Any tips for people who are considering doing this? Yeah, I think two things come to my mind as being important. I'd say that if you're not the lead pastor, uh, you absolutely need to convince your lead pastor uh, of the importance of this. Uh, So I'd say one of the biggest blessings to me is that I've got a lead pastor whose heart does beat evangelism strongly. Uh, and so 
at that point, I'm not there trying to convince him uh, that this needs to be built into the center of what the church is doing. Uh, I've got his support. Uh, and, and that support needs to be both from the planning stage through to how it's talked about in front of the church. Uh, if it's kind of like, look, here's, the, here's one of the pastors who, who's banging this drum, but the, the whole leadership team's not on board, uh, the church will smell that from a mile away. Uh, so I'd say you need, to, you need to make sure that you're all on board with that as a team. And then the second thing for me has to bring, bring a team of people along as well. Uh, so within your church, uh, there will always be, well, Lord willing, there will always be people who are just that little bit more evangelistically wired. Uh, they just have a deep love for the lost. You, you might say heaven and hell kind of burns in their mind. Uh, and I'd say bring those people with you uh, because as they come along for the ride, they're also the ones who will be going out and telling stories within the church. Uh, so I can think of a, a couple of people at Eastside who are part of our evangelism team. And whenever they speak, uh, my heart is fueled. Uh, and you know that when you give those people voice then within your church uh, and they're part of that team, that you're going you're gonna to start to rub up against one another and it'll be great. Jordan, how important for you was um, getting a team of people? How did you go about doing that? Yeah, it was, it was absolutely crucial. Um, pretty much as Josh said, I, I tried to identify who are the people that just, they're always going up to the new person on Sunday and they're, they're coming to me and saying, I've got this friend and I want to, I want to share the gospel with them, tell the gospel with them. I, I don't know what the next step is. Can you um, help me think through that? So working out that bunch of people um, and then pitching the idea of the course to them. And everybody that I pitched the idea to was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, because their hearts are already on fire um, to see people saved. Um, so as Josh said, there's always that little contingent of people in a church that are just, just chomping at the bit to see some sort of evangelistic um, culture blossom in their church. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I recruited those people um, and I try to get sort of a ratio of people in the course, right? So that team of evangel evangelists, if you want to call them that, um, I brought them along to the course and their job was to just empathize and listen to the non-Christian people who were there and help those non-Christian people reflect on their own worldview and um, reflect on how is what Jordan's saying about Jesus, um, how does that match what you think about the world or what you think about life? So that was a third of the people in the room of the, of the course. The other third were often the Christian friends who had brought their non-Christian friend along. And then the last third um, were initially just church members because I wanted people to have buy-in into the course so that um, the second or third time I ran it, they would go, yeah, I, I can trust that. I know that the talks are going to be good. Um, the vibe in the room is going to be good. The food's going to be good. It's going to have a, a good atmosphere that my friend is not going to feel intimidated or pressured in. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so there's some people probably listening or watching um, who are in the position of saying, listen, that sounds terrific. Uh, sounds great. But I've tried all of that. You know, I've tried Christian Explored. I tried Life. I tried Alpha. I tried Simply Christianity. I've tried it all. Um, no matter what we do, 
it doesn't result in what you're saying. Um, what would you say to them about uh, the importance, uh, not so much about what course they're doing, but actually then focusing on how you run the course? What is it about the Knights themselves that you think gain traction, um, not just with non-Christian inquirers, but also with your church members? Because of course, none of this works unless your church buy in and invite people. It's not going to be about you, the pastor, inviting 100 people. It's going to be your church doing it. So what about how you run it plays a part in actually its success and its continued fruitfulness? Um, Josh, what about you, mate? Yeah, look, it, it has to be done well. Uh, and so I would say, look, if you're struggling with it, and I don't mean this to sound uber critical, but you've got to understand that many Christians and non-Christians alike have had bad, bad experiences when it comes to evangelism. And so I reckon when you first start the course, my guess would be that you'll have about 10% of the people in your church on board. Uh, and, and I'm just speaking purely pragmatically. You'd love to have 100%. But when you advertise it that first time, 10%, I reckon, and they're your evangelistic live wires. Now, when you then run the course, if it's awkward, uh, that number will go to 5% next time. And what sort of thing would make it awkward? What, what, what are things you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for, for us, um, we run the course uh, and we talk about it as hospitality. So, is the food done well? Are people welcomed well? when they come, you know, we have an, uh, so just to give you an idea of how the night is run, uh, we have an MC uh, who compares the night and it's their job to welcome our guests. Every person who is on the team wears a name tag so that uh, you know who you're talking to. Uh, when the night starts, the very first thing we say is you're our guests. Uh, you won't be forced to read the Bible out loud. You won't be forced to answer any questions and you won't be forced to pray. Now, the number of times we've had people at the end of that, both Christians from the church and non-Christians who said, oh man, my blood pressure dropped massively as soon as you said that uh, is huge. Now, uh, then, you know, do the talk and do it well. Uh, you know, if, if you're the person doing the talk, don't kind of... Uh, leave it till you know 5 30 on monday afternoon uh when you're doing the talk at seven o'clock on monday night um so all of these things are, are either raising the plausibility of sharing the gospel or decreasing it uh, and i think that we just have to be honest that we live in a, a post-christian world and so if we do something really poorly uh, we break people's trust we don't make them feel like guests uh, then it it decreases massively uh, not just the number of non-christians who are likely to come but also the number of people in your church who will actually actively look to bring someone along uh, that's so helpful josh uh, jordo what about you mate any any tips you've picked up on the night now your context is slightly different to josh's um, Port Macquarie, uh, more surfy, uh, probably a slightly larger working class community um, than where Josh is. Um, you know, so does that change how you run things, discussion groups or questions or vibe-wise, what are you doing that you think has gained traction with your Christians and non-Christians? Yeah, sure. Um, and for the record, it's um, 
it's actually a lot of professionals. So it's a real medical training sort of hub in New South Wales. There's no need to defend Port Macquarie, mate. Listen, I'm not having a go at it. We know it's Bogan Central. Let me tell you what it's so defensive. (laughs) Seriously, mate. No, I get you. It's good. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing I'd probably say is um, just if you have done this before and you think, yeah, yeah, whatever, it doesn't really work. Um, it's, it's much easier to um, just point the finger at the other things and say, well, the problem must be out there. And the thing that we really do is ask, how am I contributing to this not working? Um, that, that's the hard question. Why, what is it about me and my wiring or my personality or the vibe I give off? Is there anything there that is hindering this ministry? Um, that, that's a really important question to ask because there could be someone that God has put in your church that's actually more gifted at you than this. Um, but yeah, as far as running the night, I think um, yeah, the, the personality of the MC and, and the speaker is really important um, to put people at ease and, and create the atmosphere in the room. Um, I think starting and finishing on time is really important, especially finishing on time. You want to honour that people have work in the morning you don't want to just kind of drag it over. And so having things like a, a Q&A session after the talk, you, you need to have a time in your mind that you're going, we're going to finish here. It doesn't matter how good the questions are um, or how brilliant I think my answers are. We're going to finish at this time. And I'm going to tell people, all right, guys, that's it. We'll answer some more of those questions next week. Um, yeah, and just having a structure for the night generally. So plan it out what's actually going to happen visualize in advance what is going to happen when the person walks through the, the door for the first time what are they going to see and smell and hear um what kind of vibe are they going to experience in the room because there's a a humanness to things that we need to acknowledge yes it is the gospel that saves people not the food and the music and the smiles um but god uses means and um we don't want to drift into that idea that all I've got to do is stand up and tell the gospel and God will do the rest. Absolutely. God is the only one that can change someone's heart. Completely agree with that. Um, but we can't hide behind that reality um, to stop questioning what are we doing well or not well on the side. Mm, Cause it's, all, it's actually liberating, isn't it? If we actually take ownership of, of our failure and our contribution and our part of that failure, then actually we see a way out. We can go, oh, if it is me who's responsible for this not working, what do I need to change? You know, and, and it can be a really liberating way of, of thinking that way. And I think, that's, I think that's a profound thing for all of us to hold on to. Um, in a moment, Simon, I'm just going to ask you for one point each that you would give as your must-have um, bit of advice to, uh, to any pastors or, or church leaders out there thinking of putting a course on. But before I do, just quick-fire one-word answers. Uh, I'll just say something. And you, just, you say yes or no when it comes to a course. Okay, you ready? Okay. No, in fact, don't say yes or no. Say which one I say. Do it that way. Okay, you ready? Okay. So, so it's, it's Q&A, Q&A or discussion group. group. Josh? Josh? Discussion group. Jordan? Q&A. <laughs> Dinner, Dinner or dessert? Or dessert? Both. You know. Both. <laughs> you can't be both. Come on. <laughs> okay. okay. Turn it on. Both if you can. Live preacher or um, video? Depends on who the preacher is. <laughs> yeah, just hold on there. So you're, you're saying, Jordo, in all seriousness, just quickly, if you don't have a preacher who's good enough, uh, who's, who's going to be engaging enough, or you know, the senior pastor can't do it or whatever, and you're a church leader... 
Um, putting on a video is probably a better alternative than doing a substandard live version. Is that what you think? I, I think so. And I think um, the, the pastors often rush to go, well, I should be the one that, that's doing it. Um, there's different, I guess, sub skills of preaching. Some people are great at building up the mature Christian and feeding them. Um, other people are great at evangelistic preaching, but not so great at going deep into, into certain things. So you want to ask, have I got the knack or have I learned the skill of, um, of preaching the gospel to people that don't know anything about it? That's a, that's a skill set. Yeah, look, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think if you can, it's definitely preferable to have uh, someone preach live. Uh, I think it humanizes. I think that uh, people enjoy then being able to engage with the person. It feels more real. But if you can't do that, then I'd still have a crack with a video. Okay, final one, follow up Bible study group or just send them into regular church Bible study growth groups? No, follow up, follow up, follow up. Um, just let me quickly say as well, discussion groups versus Q&A. Sorry, we actually did both. Um, thought I'd clarify that. But follow up, oh my goodness. You have to have a follow up course. Something. People will hear the gospel for the first time four weeks and they think they get it. And then you run the follow up course and it's really only in the follow up course that they go, oh, I thought I got it, but now I really, really get it. You 100% have to have one. Josh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely have to have a follow-up group. Uh, there's no way around it. I think for us, if we have 20 people do a course, usually there's, you know, seven, eight, nine people who will make some kind of commitment. And for half of those people, the commitment is to keep exploring Jesus in a group. And then usually three months later, uh, many of them have said yes to Jesus. And so you can't miss that. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't have to be another course. Uh, it, it can just be a small group Bible study, uh, anything where you're keeping them connected on their level, I think is important. And in fact, I will throw an extra one final one at you. Do it on your own or with a team? With a team. Awesome. Okay, fellas, one final principle. Uh, you're, you're explaining to someone uh, what is a take-home that you want someone who is considering putting a course on, hasn't done it before, um, to take home uh, from our chat today. Josh, I'll start with you. Yeah, I would say the take home for me would be realize that there is a theology practice gap. Uh, we believe in a big God who saves people. Uh, and so we need to help our congregation see the joy of that. Uh, just very briefly for our church, once we've seen people put their trust in Jesus, it's now spreading everywhere. We've got people reading the word one to one. We've had training times with uh, Sam Chan and there's hospitality happening everywhere. Uh, and so just, just be realistic. Yes, the gospel saves people. I absolutely get that. But we need to help people see that. And it's a wonderful joy uh, as that begins to grow. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Jordo? Yeah, I think I'd just say um, beware hypocrisy. So beware saying to your congregation, bring people to this course. You know, we're going to explain the gospel and evangelism is really important. Tell the gospel. Um, but if you're not actually doing it in your personal life, people, people see that and, and it comes across as pretty fake. So you as, as a pastor actually have the biggest impact on the evangelistic culture of the church by how passionate you are about evangelism and whether you're actually doing it. Uh, Josh and Jordan, uh, thank you so much uh, for your wisdom and your time. We love you and we're so thankful uh, for the way that God is using you uh, and is bringing his people to himself 
in Brizzy, at Port Macquarie, uh, at the point at east side. Um, thank you so much for joining with us. Um, if you've been watching or listening, um, there's a lot of evangelistic resources available for you uh, to help you equip and train your church uh, to be more effective uh, and ho hopefully under God, more engaging uh, with a community desperately in need of the gospel. Go to reachaustralia.com.au and there you'll find details about some evangelistic courses, training courses for your Christians, but also some things on building teams, uh, what it looks like to, to recruit and to train teams uh, to effectively do ministry as a church. See you next time.